0: All right. Well, I'm glad to have people already in and ready to go. Uh, It's nice to see we actually have Herod with us today. So uh, if you're actually still there and paying attention, I give my greetings to you. Uh, I see you're over on YouTube. People already in and ready. Uh, Jonas is there as well. Nick and Eli are here. So I give my greetings to you guys. There's quite a few people in on YouTube. So if you could comment, leave some kind of message. Uh, that way we know who all is there we can greet you uh, all of that kind of stuff Uh, if you need anything during this study this is not the interactive Bible study so I'm not intending to answer questions from the comments in fact I'm going to try to ignore them a little bit uh, given that anytime you talk about prophecy it's somewhat controversial Uh, so I'm trying not to be distracted by them Uh, but should you need something during this time uh, Nicodemus is on YouTube he will take care of you uh and try not to abuse his powers as he always struggles uh and then also eli uh elijah is over on facebook as our manager there uh that he will be trying to take care of everything there as well so i give my greetings to everyone uh Fanya, rebecca uh joe looks like she's dropped in uh Lori is at least pretending to watch it seems like so Uh, I have to tell you, it's sad. I I tried to give you a very special surprise today before we started this. I was going to do a a short concert from Josiah because he was in a singing mood. Uh, But as soon as I set the computer up, started typed in everything for the live stream, I was going to do a live stream just for him uh, to sing for everybody. Then he decided he didn't want to sing no more. Uh, So maybe another time. All right. I ask you to be turning with me to uh second thessalonians i have preached so much on prophecy as of late uh that even just in the last question and answer service that i did by myself uh we did a deep dive or not too deep but we did a fairly reasonably deep dive into matthew 24 where we just went through an outline of matthew 24 and explained uh what my belief is on that so like i say if you want something really stretching out matthew 24 go back and look for the last question and answer service where i'm talking by myself uh, and i do a, an outline of matthew 24 so i know a lot of people who are interested in prophecy would like to have that i encourage you to go look that up uh, obviously we have a whole series on zephaniah it's never i never finished uploading the last videos I, I just recently realized that so i started trying to get some of them up there uh but in that regard there's still some that needs to go up but there's plenty of stuff about prophecy especially about the kingdom of christ that you can find uh, in those videos tonight our goal is that we have done a series of studies looking into baptist distinctives then we moved into doing a series of studies just looking at our doctrinal statement as a church uh, and trying to more clearly define that for some others Uh, and so the particular thing we're trying to do tonight is just address some of the, the doctrine of what we believe concerning the end times. Uh, I, do, I, I do greatly realize there's so much to discuss. that There's no way I could discuss everything we believe about prophecy in one message. So in truth, we'll certainly be talking about this at least one more day this week, probably tomorrow, but i still got to get uh, the final piece about how I'm going to handle things. Uh, so for tonight, we're gonna try to discuss both the Rapture and the Antichrist, and that's why Second Thessalonians uh, chapter two is my foundational verse, my uh, text verse, because in that passage, uh, you find some really good information about the tribulation period itself, and especially about those two things in particular. All right, so 2 Thessalonians chapter number two, hopefully, if you're watching this, you have access to your Bible, you can follow along a little easier, a little better. Uh, my brother is actually watching, so he doesn't get to do that a lot, I don't think. But uh, uh, greetings to Will uh, over on Facebook. That's my brother. So my actual flesh and blood brother, not just my brother in Christ. Uh, but Second Thessalonians chapter number 2 uh, and verse number 1 says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of the Lord, uh, as the day of Christ is at hand. Uh, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Whoso opposeth and exalteth himself above all things, uh, above all that is called God, uh, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth. Uh, in the temple of god showing himself that he is god remember ye not that when i was yet with you i told you these things uh, and now ye know what withholdeth uh, that he might be revealed in his time for the mystery of iniquity doth already work only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way and when uh, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth uh, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion uh, that they should believe a lie that they might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness all right looking at this particular passage uh there's a lot to unpack the first thing i need to address is that a lot of people actually struggle with this passage who believe a pre-tribulation rapture like i believe Uh, they struggle with it but it's because they tried to define it without actually letting it define itself i think once you let the passage speak for itself it's actually one of the biggest defenders of a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, But I see a lot of people struggle with this particular passage for multiple different reasons. Uh, One of the reasons is because when they read the first part of it, Uh, And he's explaining, you know, don't be deceived, don't be worried. Or he says, let's read it. I'll read verse one because it's been long enough. Uh, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, uh, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Where a lot of people struggle with this uh, and a lot of people have trouble is, for example, one explanation people try to give. Uh, Is they'll say that when he talks about a letter, that it's because somebody had wrote a letter to the church there at Thessalonica and told them uh, that the rapture had already taken place. Uh, And so he was trying to comfort them and tell them it didn't. uh, And that, you know, there's. There's a change of passage because of that, uh, a change of thought. Some people will try to redefine in terms of what it means when he says the day of Christ as opposed to the coming. Uh, But in truth, neither of those I really believe are satisfactory answers. It's entirely possible somebody had wrote a letter because he does mention the letter. But that doesn't define the meaning of the passage in the way that a lot of people try to make it out to. Uh, Again, I'm a firm believer we have to let the Bible define the Bible. Uh, If I have to build my doctrine entirely off of an outside source, then it's not a Bible doctrine. So let's then try to see what the passage is actually saying. Uh, Because what is clearly being stated here is he, he is very clearly talking about the rapture. Uh, I mean, you think about those first terms by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he talks about coming in that way, uh, almost always is he talking about the rapture itself, uh, the gathering together unto him. That's most definitely the rapture. Uh, and then the phrase that people struggle with a little bit is that day of Christ, uh, because there is another term in the Bible very similar to it, that the day of the Lord. Uh, but there is a difference. The day of the Lord is a term that always uh, is talking about uh, the second coming of Christ. Sometimes it's used broadly. Sometimes it'll be used uh, just like when he says the end, he you know we think of the end, we think, okay, the very last minute, but he's actually talking about the whole last seven years. You know he uses a term that should mean a very specific thing, but he's using it to describe fairly broad amount of time, seven years of time, because of the fact that you're talking about the end of thousands of years of history. Uh, so seven years is a small amount. It is easy to call that the end in that perspective, uh, just like if I was to preach for a few hours and then I say the end of my message and I spend another five minutes. Yeah, it's fair. That's, that's the end of the message. Uh, whereas if I preach three minutes and I say the end, uh, I should be talking about something comparatively, uh, proper in that perspective, you know, let's say 30 seconds. My point being there is that the day of the Lord is a term that can be used a little more broadly because he'll describe things when talking about the day of the Lord that according to prophecy very clearly happened uh, at least months before the the actual second coming of Christ. Uh, Some of it clearly would seem to be uh, years even before. So he'll use it to describe all the things that take place in that last week of prophecy, that last seven years. Uh, But in general, it's most important you understand that the day of the Lord is a term that refers to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of Christ, though, is only used, I think, three, four times in the Bible. It's not used a lot. Uh, But every time it does appear, it's very plainly talking about the rapture. So people who tried to make the distinction to say that he's talking about one event and then the other... It's it's not right. I mean, it's not right. I understand why they do it because they don't. They still haven't got the point of what's being discussed. The point of what's being discussed in this passage uh, is he is talking to them about this fear, this idea of being afraid that, okay, the rapture's happened and I'm left behind. Uh, and he says, don't be afraid of that. He says, and then he gives them in verse three, two points of what must happen before it could, as points of proof that the rapture hasn't taken place. Uh, he says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that the man of son, uh, the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So first, before it could happen, there would have to be a great falling away. So evidently, Paul's making a point to the church of Thessalonica uh, that Christianity is still on the rise and growing quite heavily at that point. Uh, it's not falling away. Uh, so uh, evidently, you know, the rapture hasn't taken place because Christianity hasn't dropped its groove. Uh, it's grew massively. So that's the first point he gives them. The second point he gives them is that the way this is worded, some people take it to say that the Antichrist would have to come first. that's not the way the way it's worded. all this required. Uh, and this also answers an entirely separate prophetic question and that is is there amount of time what is the amount of time between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation? And the fact is what this verse requires is that the same day, uh, that the church be taken out, that the man of sin be revealed. So it actually answers two questions right there. It shows that he's making a point to them that you know the rapture hasn't taken place because the man of sin hasn't. He's not here. And if the man, if the rapture had taken place, the man of sin would have then been revealed. Uh, that the antichrist would be known. We, you know, he would already have stepped out on the scene. That first seal would have been broken. Uh, And so actually, if anything, this is proving more so to the the pre-tribulation rapture because of the fact that he's using as an evidence that the rapture hasn't happened yet. The fact that the Antichrist is also not here because if the rapture happened, the Antichrist would be here. Uh, He would have come out. Uh, And so, like I say, once you begin to look at it in that light and understand it from that perspective, uh, it actually becomes a much easier passage to understand. Uh, it becomes far more simple than a lot of people make it out to be. You don't have to do a lot of twisting and turning. You don't have to bring in a lot of outside sources. It then becomes self-defining. Uh, but at that point, what you do have, though, uh, is a clear understanding that now you have a foundation to understand some things about the rapture, uh, especially concerning the timing of the rapture. He doesn't he doesn't give great detail as to what it's about. The, the main thing he says as terms of what it's about uh, is the gathering of us to him. But in terms of the timing of it, he actually gives some of the most definitive and important passages there are on it. And so, with that understood, he also speaks about this more. Uh, verse 4 is one that specifically talks about the Antichrist. We'll come back and pick that up when we get to him. That'll be the second half of the message. Uh, let's stay focused on the rapture for now. That, In regard to the timing of the rapture, what we currently see uh, is that... Prior to the rapture, there's not going to be much any kind of warning signs, Uh, and we'll see that. We'll go over to Matthew 24 in a minute. I I know that I already did the outline of it, but we'll go pick up some of it, uh, the later part of it, uh, to see that there is not going to be warning signs. That's one of the most important teachings about the rapture. When it comes to so many Uh, other things like the second coming of christ there it's preceded by a number a multitude of warning signs especially the darkening of the sun moon and stars it's considered to be uh one of god's great final flags to mankind to tell them uh that the second coming is at the door but when it comes to the rapture on the other hand every passage that describes it every passage that talks about the rapture uh in some way presents it as something that there is no real warning signs coming for yes there's clouds in the sky but is that so unusual? There, you know, there's almost always clouds in the sky. Uh, yes, there are birthing pains. You know that the you know the contractions are starting, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's today. It could be a little while. Um, so it's important to understand that the rapture, in regards to the timing of it, no, it's not discussed a lot in the way that we would like for it to be, because it is an event that the Bible is quite clear that no man knows the day or the hour. That it's something uh that we need to be watching for it and looking for it every day of our lives anticipating it could come at any moment or any day and it is the big kicker of events the only thing he really does give us as a prelude as a hey this is a big warning that the rapture is getting close is that there will be a falling away uh and it's not the kind of sign you would like because there's been different points throughout christian history you could have argued there was a falling away uh i mean for example as the catholic church became predominant and uh christians had to hide in the corner for so many centuries uh you could have said there was a falling away there's certainly a falling away today uh as that the majority of what calls itself christian has nothing to do with christ uh and so it's something that It's not a fixed sign in the sense that you could say, oh, that's definitely the falling away. It's just that you know uh, when he comes, there's going to be a coldness. Uh, There's going to be an indifference toward God. Uh, In fact, it's actually quite interesting that he gives a contrast. uh, Even when we get to the comparison where he uses Noah as a comparison, which is the verse I keep trying to get to. Uh, When he uses Noah as a comparison, there's a contrast. Whereas prior to Noah, uh, you know, people were just given in marriage and all of this. Uh, With the coming of the Lord, it's going to be an entirely different time. People are going to be living in a world that's completely turned upside down. Uh, It's going to be in a a state of disaster. So anyways, with that in mind, let me read the rest of what this passage has to say uh, regarding the rapture. And then we can spread out and go to some of the other passages. Because I'm trying to move quickly tonight because it is a lot to cover. Uh, Last time I preached on this here in the church... Uh, it took me three messages to do, three or four messages to do what I'm going to try to do tonight uh, in one Bible study. And The good news is it's not translated, so that at least condenses it down to two. Uh, all right, so verse number five says, Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this in his time. Now, to keep you up to speed, verse 4 was about the Antichrist. So we're talking about what's holding back the Antichrist uh, as we go into this passage. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let uh, until he be taken out of the way. So what he's saying is that the spirit of the Antichrist, which is something that's said in other passages of Scripture, not just here, but that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world today. Uh, the Antichrist, is his kingdom is already being set up. And that's why when we look at the world around us, we can clearly see those kind of things. We can see uh, the makings of one world governments. We can see religions already uh, shaking hands and making friends with one another that uh, in the past may have been enemies. Uh, we can see the one world currency already ready. I mean, it's not, it wouldn't take anything really to make that come to pass. Cause we're all, uh, electronic anyways, especially now, uh, some countries are not even allowing people to use, uh, paper money. Uh, so, you're seeing all that come into place. Even I believe right now, what we're seeing in terms of government overreach uh, and governments doing a lot of what they're doing to to even shut down their own constitutions and their own laws uh, in order to infringe upon religious freedom, freedom of expression, freedom of gathering, and all these kind of things that are guaranteed to people uh, in most Western constitutions, that you're seeing this. I don't necessarily believe that this is, okay, the King of Antichrist is directly going to come from this. It's entirely possible. It would not surprise me if Christ comes uh, even tomorrow and then the King of Antichrist is built from this. But I do believe it's very much the way I've explained it to my people uh, is when you're designing software or a game or something like that, many times what you do before you release it to the public so that everybody can have a part in it uh, is you release a small study of it that's called a beta test so that a smaller group can try it out and you see how it works. Uh, And so in this particular case, instead of taking the full control you would see with the Antichrist Kingdom, you do see governments are flexing a little bit to see what they can get by with. And I believe that that's an example uh, of what it means when it talks about his spirit's already working. He's already setting stuff up. He's already getting ready. Uh, He's doing these things, but it says that he that now letteth will let. Now I understand for most, most of us who are English speakers, there's a little bit of a complication there because we have changed the definition of the word let for a long time. Uh, We identify the word let as meaning that I allow you to do something where actually the original definition of it uh, had more to do with preventing you to do something to stopping you from doing that Uh, you can see an example of that in the Bible when Job is speaking about I believe it was Job he's speaking about being born uh, and he said it would have been better uh, if the the knees of his mother had let him or or stopped him from being born Uh, and so you see that in the Bible what this term more so means is not the idea of me allowing you to do something especially the way it's used here you have to pay attention to context english is a language like most languages but probably more so it's entirely reliant upon context what he's saying is that there is someone uh, who is now holding back who's stopping who's keeping the antichrist from uh actually coming out and being seen and we see that the prophecy even shows that when you look at revelation the antichrist doesn't come out until the seal is broken and he's allowed to come out uh he is not allowed to come yet uh but there is someone he's talking about being here in the earth that he says he will let uh that he will hold him back uh until he himself is taken uh that's what the verses were reading maybe i stopped a little soon make sure i get all of it here uh verse 8 says and then shall the wicked or let me read verse seven make sure you got it for the mystery of iniquity doth already work only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth uh, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming uh so what you see here in this regard is he said now he's defining the, the antichrist the one who will be destroyed uh, that's not speaking of the timing when he says who will be destroyed. Uh, he's giving that as a defining characteristic of who this is. But when he says this about the Antichrist, he's saying that right now he's already his kingdom's already being set up. the devil's already hard at work, he's getting out of the pieces in place, uh, he's doing his job to prepare. Uh, but there is one who is holding back uh, from him being unleashed right now. Uh, and what I believe about that and you can disagree with me, But what I believe about that uh, is that if we're talking about someone who Paul says, you know him now, writing to the Church of Thessalonica almost 2,000 years ago, uh, that is still in the world today, who we know at some point will be taken out in the sense that he already is, uh, then there is no better answer to that question to me than the Holy Spirit himself. Now, some people don't like that. I know people who actually uh, get mad and fuss that that's not a good answer, and it's not. And their only reason why it's not a good answer is because they don't like it. Uh, I've never heard anybody give a reason why it's not a good answer. But what does have to be understood about this is that in regard to uh, the Antichrist being unleashed, there is somebody, and you've got to figure out who you believe it is. I'll give you my answer, but there's somebody who is in the world who was stopping the antichrist from being unleashed all the way back then has been doing it all the way till today and who in some capacity will be taken out uh and i think the only answer to that and i do think it fits within the context of the passage contrary to what those who don't like it say uh is the holy spirit uh because we do know that while yes he has always been here his ministry he currently does his abiding ministry uh was referred to by christ as him coming Meaning that in his eyes, that ministry was something that involved him coming here and beginning a new work. So the idea of him being taken out is no different than the idea of him coming in the first place. People who struggle with that should struggle with receiving the Holy Spirit uh, in the book of Acts because it's the same terminology. Uh, But we know that when the church is taken out, uh, when the rapture takes place, then with that, too, should be that the Holy Spirit ends, biblically speaking, he ends his ministry. He's currently doing the indwelling ministry. Uh, He essentially sets back to what he was doing in the Old Testament in terms of ministry. Uh, And so what that would then mean is that the one who is holding the Antichrist from being revealed is the Holy Spirit. Once he's taken out, which would mean we're taken with him, that's the rapture, uh, then immediately following that within the same day because the, the language does require same day uh that within the same day the antichrist is revealed that seal is broken and i believe that's what you're seeing when you turn to revelation you open up revelation 4 i believe the rapture has already taken place i believe christians have already been rewarded uh you see those 24 elders sitting there already having received their crowns uh something that if you really pay attention to the language Uh, of revelation and we don't get caught up in personal opinions uh, then by the language of revelation what you have uh, is sorry I'm having problems with my phone again today uh, or this evening what you have in regards to the language of revelation is the language that's tied to the 24 elders uh, is language that's tied to the church throughout the first three chapters and by that I mean uh, he refers to us as um, being priests and kings of our Lord. He talks about the churches receiving the crowns, and he tells them, be careful so that no man take your crown from you. Uh, there's a lot of terminology associated with them in regards to prophecy. The the 24 elders are numbered as being 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Those are terms we see very heavily associated uh, in terms, especially Jude said he'll come back with tens of thousands of his saints. Uh, So there's a lot there to say that the 24 elders would be the believers. Now, again, this is a place where I may disagree with some people. I personally believe them to be the believers of the Old and the New Testament. I believe that it is all believers up to that point, having been uh, resurrected, having been rewarded. Uh, And then when you pick up in chapter four, You're not focused on that part because what you're looking at uh, is the opening of the book uh, and the beginning of the tribulation. So that's something that would have happened. And then now they're opening the book. Uh, The crowns are being cast down at Jesus' feet. So that's the last you hear about those crowns. but you see that that everything uh there's a whole lot of language tied to the rapture for example all the crowns of believers we're told that we'll receive those at his coming at the rapture uh when he gathers together his church that he'll give us that reward Uh, again those 24 elders already are crowned there's no other place where we see them receiving crowns there's no point where we see anybody else who could represent us receiving crowns but yet the bible plainly teaches we will receive crowns uh at his coming but you do see them And that passage, taking crowns that are already bestowed upon them, they've already been declared being made priests and kings of our Lord. They're already singing about how he has redeemed them of every tribe, nation, tongue, and race. Uh, So you certainly have more than 24 people because you can't redeem 24 people and represent every tribe, nation, tongue, and race. Uh, But you have all of these things building to it being the church, already having been raptured, already having been rewarded, and then taking those crowns. Uh, that they would have received in that process, laying them down at the feet of Jesus, uh, and then proceeding from there to him open up uh, the book and beginning by opening that first seal and releasing the Antichrist. So that ties together with this as well. Uh, And even I believe it ties together with Matthew 24, no problem also. Uh, But we're not trying to get too much to the Antichrist yet. We're still keeping a focus there upon the rapture uh, in and of itself. Uh, And so as we look... Uh, to the rapture in and of itself, a lot of what we're trying to do right now is still look at both the timing of it and what it is, uh, when and what. Uh, So I think that this passage does define that it is an event that takes place just immediately prior to uh, the tribulation. I do believe that Revelation supports that as well. Uh, Matthew 24, I believe, also supports that. However, what I want to look at in Matthew 24 is not the part that deals with the timeline of prophecy. That's the part that I went into detail about uh, in my question and answer service. If you want that information, it's there. It's already available. It's easy to find. Just scroll back a few more videos until you see a question and answer service with me by myself. Uh, The first one you come to would be it. It's about halfway through the video, I think. Uh, You can find my definition, my outline of how I believe Matthew 24 should be read in terms of prophecy. What I want to look at is not that first half. I I will discuss it a little bit, but it's not that first half uh, where we see the outline of prophecy. Because, again, I believe the rapture has already taken. I believe it is the event uh, that prerequisites all of that. Uh, All of that stuff dealing with the tribulation period. What I do want to look at, though, uh, is when he steps back and answers the other question uh, in verse 36. So if you didn't listen to that video, you don't have anything, at least give, let me give you this much of a foundation uh, that what I believe about Matthew 24 is he's asked the questions about his coming and about his appearing and what are the signs uh, and in regard to his appearing in regards to him coming uh, and his his second coming. Uh, In regards to that, he gives a full, fairly detailed outline of what the seven years are going to look like uh, across the first half of this chapter. Uh, And then he ends it with the parable of the fig tree where he explains that once you see all these signs, which is what he was asked about, uh, and that's what he answers. You know, the sun, moon, and stars, the persecution, the abomination of desolation, all of this kind of stuff. Once you see all of that, uh, then just like the parable of the fig tree explains, when the fig tree begins to blossom, you know that summer is nigh. When you see all of those things, you know uh, that the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is nigh. The parable is an illustration to help you understand the message. But it also breaks the message so in the sense that it is a pause. It's a break. You know, it's giving you a chance to transition to your second thought. Uh, and that's what he does. He transitions now to discuss about the gathering together of the saints. He begins to discuss his rapture, his coming there. Uh, and so that's what he begins discussing in verse uh, 36. So in verse 36, he says, But of that day and hour, no, no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only, uh, no, with no man, not the angels, of heaven, my father only. Uh, but as the day, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day of Noah, the day that Noah entered into the ark, uh, and went and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What he's explaining in regards to what we can know about the timing of the rapture, because I actually believe this is the whole point of his message in some degree, is that concerning his second coming, the signs are there. I mean, it's it's clear-cut. This happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. You have the whole book of Revelation. You have so much prophecy to explain it. Uh, the Old Testament's full of it. But when it comes to the rapture in and of itself, the big kicker, the event that gets it all going, uh it comes as a thief in the night as he's going to explain uh and his illustration to help us get that uh is he says it's like what it was in the days of noah that god warned that there was going to come a time of wrath uh and that his people could be delivered from that they could be saved from that time of wrath but they had to trust in him uh and he did not bring wrath upon the world until first his people were in a place of safety uh but the other part of the message that's being discussed here. Is that the people weren't interested that they were marrying, giving in marriage, they were living their life like nothing was going on, like it was no big deal, like it was just any other day of the week? So, what he's teaching then about the rapture itself is that prior to him coming to collect the saints, there's going to be just a time where people are living like there's no big deal i mean it's like what we are here in belgium people live every day without ever thinking about god in general or about eternity it's like there's nothing to worry about that there's always going to be another tomorrow and when this life ends well it doesn't matter anyways i lived a nice life uh that people are going to live that kind of way where they have no regard no desire no concern about god Uh, until suddenly he comes uh, and the church be taken away. And then after that, that first seal breaks, releasing the Antichrist and the other seals that will proceed to come after uh, or that will follow. Uh, that those seals will then begin out a pattern of God pouring out wave after wave of judgment upon this world, uh, in the same way that you have the people going into the boat, and then the waters begin to burst up from the ground. It's it's kind of the same connection. You have the people going into where God is, so He said, "Come into the boat," implying uh, that they're coming to where He is. Uh, and that he shut them up safely. You have the church being taken out uh, to where he is, shut up safely. uh, And then just as the Antichrist is unleashed, the same thing, the waters broke up from the ground uh, and the rain began to pour down. Antichrist unleashed and God begins to pour out the rain of his judgment upon this world, following with death and then uh, with famine and with uh, uh, war. I'm sorry, I skipped war With death, famine, and war uh, being poured out and then the other judgments as they're laid out and described throughout the book of Revelation. Maybe we'll talk about those tomorrow uh, because I do have a view on prophecy in that regard. It's a little bit different in regard to how you should really read the book of Revelation. And I would like to do a video uh, talking about that. So maybe we'll do that some tomorrow. But uh, what we're going to see then is that one of the main emphasis what you see over and over again is the people in general are going to be living their life like there's always going to be tomorrow, God doesn't matter, eternity's not real, uh, and there's no reason for me to care about this stuff uh, until suddenly uh, the floodwaters break uh, and their world falls apart. And even then, they're not going to turn to him. In fact, we read the passage uh, earlier, and we'll talk more about it in a minute, that he said he'll cause uh, a strong delusion to come upon those who heard the gospel and rejected it so that they believe the lie of the Antichrist. Uh, So many of them, they're just going to be consumed with following after this Antichrist who comes seeming to offer peace to them. Uh, Now, following here, though, in Matthew 24, let's go and get some more thoughts because this is where some of your best information concerning the rapture you'll ever get comes from uh, in regards to when understanding what we need to know about when it takes place. Because the main answer is no man knows the day or hour. But what does that then mean for you? If the world's going to be called unaware, what does that mean for you? Uh, verse 40 says, then shall two be in the field, then one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Uh, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known and what watch the thief would come, uh, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. So the point that's being made throughout the rest of this chapter, I can read the other verses, but the point is being made throughout the rest of this chapter is he says that when Christ comes to gather the saints, it is going to be the event uh, where one is taken, one is left behind. You shouldn't confuse this with what he described earlier in the passage, where he's talking about one coming off the roof, or right, talking about people working and you know coming off the roof and running from the persecution of Christ. Whole different thought. Some people try to mix them together to confuse people, but uh, they are very different thoughts from very different time periods. At the moment the rapture takes place, he says there's going to be one standing, one uh, you know two people working the field, one's going to be taken, one's going to be left behind. It's going to be uh, an incredible event where people are just gone, because the Bible does describe it as taking place in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. The, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we do know it's about our resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15 describes it uh, as taking place in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, so it is something that in a moment uh, you'll be standing there, uh, and one person will be there, one person won't be. They'll just be gone. Uh, The Bible doesn't describe a lot about how that works, the mechanics of it. We know what's going on is the resurrection. uh, But in terms of what that will look like to the people watching, it doesn't say a lot. It just says that one will be taken, that they'll be gone. But the thing for this world is to understand that the world is going to be completely caught off guard by this. They're not expecting it. They're not anticipating it Uh, to them. It's like a thief coming in the night. Uh, It is a moment that they have no preparation for. Uh, They're not looking for it. They're just living their lives as if the life is going to go on and there's no big deal. Uh, And it's going to catch them completely off guard as a thief coming in the night. But for you and I, there is an entirely different situation. He warns us we are to be servants who we know that our master has gone away for a time uh, and he is coming back. Uh, and so we need to be working and watching and ready knowing that he could walk back in the door any minute and we don't want to be caught setting down. Uh, and that's what the rest of the chapter explains. Uh, so I can read that. It doesn't take long to read. Uh, therefore, uh, verse 45, therefore be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the son of man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom the Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you. Uh, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods but and if the evil servant shall say in his heart my lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunken the lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour uh, that he is not aware of uh, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites uh, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth now what precedes, or what comes after this, I keep wanting to use the word perceive, what follows after this uh, is, again, two parables that explain both of these stories. The story of one being taken and one left behind, that that part of the message, that, that preaching. He gives an illustration to explain it. And then this other part of the preaching, where while the world may be taken away, I'd be caught off guard like a thief in the night, we as Christians don't need to be and should not be. We should be servants who are watching and not hypocrites pretending uh, to believe he's coming. Uh, that what he then does is he gives you two parables, the first one being the parable of the 10 virgins. Uh, and we know it's, it's a parable that illustrates the exact same idea that half are taken, half are left behind because they weren't really watching. They weren't really interested. They didn't really uh, care about the bridegroom coming. Uh, they were hypocrites. They were pretending to care. Uh, they were pretending to be part of the bride. Then the next parable that follows that, which is the illustration to the second point, uh, is the parable of the servants being given the talents, uh, where you know he gives different amounts to each one, and they some of them use them, some of them don't, uh, and the one who doesn't, the one who takes the talent and he hides it in the ground, uh, that one is then judged for it. Uh, you have a parable of that nature following immediately after this. Uh, and those parables, that parable illustrates the same point that a true servant will be watching. He will believe that the master's coming, that the hypocrite, the one who's not really uh, trusting and believing in him, is the one who's going to be taken unaware by this. Uh, that someone who truly has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be watching and waiting. Uh, we won't be surprised at all when the rapture takes place, uh, because though we may not know the day or the hour, we are looking for our Lord to come any moment. Now, having that in mind, that's a... the probably the bulk of what you can understand about when it takes place. Let me address a little more about what it is by going over to First Thessalonians. Uh, so First Thessalonians uh, will further define what the rapture is in regards to what it's all about uh while also giving a little bit more information about when it is uh because again this is trying to define our doctrinal statement and one of the primary points of our doctrinal statement is that we are a pre-tribulation rapture church you know we believe that the uh the rapture takes place prior to the tribulation period uh and so that's why i'm putting a little more emphasis there tonight because that's the thing i have to do in order to properly fulfill uh the purpose we set out to do in preaching these series but First Thessalonians chapter four, uh, picking up verse thirteen, we'll read to the end of the chapter, and then uh, after that we'll read the beginning of the next chapter because these are the the same thought; it's one's continuing from the other. Uh, but First Thessalonians four thirteen says, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren." Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not uh, even as others which have no hope. for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Christ will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord Jesus of the Lord shall not prevent uh, them which are asleep. So you have to pay attention in the wording of this. In the beginning, uh, it seems more he's referring to, because he does talk about bringing them with him, uh, that he's talking a little bit about the idea of the second coming, but he does switch to explain the reason why he's able to bring them with him is because of the rapture and the resurrection that would take place prior to that. Uh, But he goes on to explain, we talked about the resurrection. So again, this is another one of those studies. I can skip some of the details. Tonight, because I did a pretty much entire message on this. Uh, if you go back, I think it was last Sunday night, a week ago. Uh, we did a message called uh, Heaven and Hell. It's the way it's listed. Uh, and in that, the primary focus actually it's somewhat misleading. The listing is Heaven and Hell because the primary focus I talked about was the resurrection. So if you want to know more about what we believe about resurrection, go there. Uh, if you want to know more about what the Bible teaches about it, go there. But what this defines for us is that the rapture, the primary purpose of what is going on in the rapture is the resurrection. It is the Old and New Testament saints being raised, being given their glorified body, that they might be collected there together with the Lord uh, to be with him forever. We'll be with him in heaven. We'll be with him when he comes back here to the earth. Uh, We will be with him forever. Uh, It is our rescue. Uh, And that's what the next passage really brings out uh, in chapter five. Uh, In chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. So again, there's a point. There's no reason for me to talk to you about times and seasons. You already know that there is no real signs and wonders to look for going to come prior to the the rapture. Those precede the second coming. Uh, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Uh, for when they shall say peace and safety then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. So now he's back to discussing more about the the second coming. Uh, But again, you have to pay attention with the wording because like I said, the word, the term, the word of the Lord uh, primarily, and it is specifically talking about his second coming, but it does sometimes get used to speak more broadly. So be very careful when you're reading it, look to the context uh, and let scripture define itself. Uh, Don't just take me or anybody else at our word, when we tell you it means something. Uh, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. Uh, we are not of the night nor of darkness, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober for they that sleep, sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an helmet, the hope of salvation for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can keep reading. He talks about this going on uh, even further. and even says for us to comfort one another and edify one another with these words. But in fact, let me read. Who, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Uh, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, uh, even as you also do. What he's teaching in this is that. While others will be taken off, be caught off guard entirely by the rapture. uh, And then they won't know what's going on when the rest of these events, these end time events begin to take place. You and I are not surprised by any of this because we are looking for the rapture. uh, And we know that we won't have to be appointed in that wrath because we're not appointed to the wrath. The wrath is not for us. Uh, So we're not looking for the troubles and the tribulations. We understand that's all part of the end time. We got it. We know it. But that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for Christ to come as a thief in the night. We're looking for him to come in a moment, an hour, and a day when no man knows, nobody's looking, uh, nobody's really anticipating it. We, though, as his servants, not the hypocrites, but the servants are looking for it. We're waiting for him. We're anticipating him any moment uh, to come and call his people, to gather them together with him in the sky, to resurrect us, to give us that glorified body. What it is... The definition of rapture is really quite simple. It is the, re- the the resurrection and the rescue of his people. It is Christ resurrecting his people uh, that we might have victory over death and rescuing us uh, who are alive and remain uh, that we don't have to take part in the wrath that is about to be poured out. It is the resurrection and the rescue of his people. I think that's the easiest way to understand what's going on with the rapture, what it's really all about uh, in terms of what it is. 1 Corinthians 15 is your best passage for defining how the resurrection takes place. Probably what we just read is some of your best verses for explaining what the rapture would kind of look like. Uh, There's some other good places to go to as well. Uh, But in terms of the timing of it, I think Matthew 24 uh, gives you a good understanding that you won't know the day or the hour. That you're not going to find it on any timeline of prophecy because it's always uh, that event that kicks things off, that things pick up after. Uh, And then also what you find in regards to the rapture is I think 2 Thessalonians, our foundational verse, is the one that really best drives home the point that this is the prelude event. This is the opening event. This is the the thing that kicks off and really breaks the the barrier so that all the rest of prophecy can unfold. Uh, So there's what we believe in regards to the rapture. Uh, again, I could have, last time I preached on this, I did two messages, uh, each of which were probably longer than what I just spent speaking about this. Uh, one just to define what it is and another about when it is. Uh, so I did not go nearly as deep as I probably would have liked to in trying to study and understand this stuff a little bit better. Uh, but I also want to try to deal with the Antichrist tonight. If we move fast, uh, we can get that part in without going too much past our time limit that we tried to impose on ourselves So let's go back then to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, this time picking up in verse 3 and verse 4. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all this, uh, all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth, Uh, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is a God. Now, what you have concerning the Antichrist is he has a number of titles. Uh, Some people take offense when you call him Antichrist. It is a term that's applied to anyone who presents themselves in the place of Christ. Uh, His spirit is called the spirit of the Antichrist in one passage. There's nothing wrong biblically with calling him Antichrist. Uh, But I will admit that terms like son of perdition uh, are probably more commonly associated with him. Uh, But... And understanding who he is, this passage gives you a little bit of some of the better insight in terms of New Testament discussing him and what he's going to do. Uh, Daniel gives you the clearest outline of it all, uh, and I think you have to build your doctrine from Daniel contrary to what people may want to do. You have to go back there uh, to understand what's going on with him and what he's doing during this seven years. Uh, and so let me give you that because I think you need that before you can appreciate what 2 Thessalonians explains. Uh, so, Daniel chapter number 9, verse 26 and verse 27. Uh, it says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come uh, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, again, what he's describing here is an event that we typically in prophecy refer to as the abomination of desolation. We take that title uh, from... Primarily Matthew 24, you also see it being spoken of here in this passage uh, when it describes him going and, and presenting himself as God. That he's opposed to everything that is God and he presents himself as God uh, in the passage we just read. There's speculation by some in terms of what the abomination of desolation is, but I do think that we just read it. Uh, when it says he enters into the temple of God, showing himself that he is God uh, back in verse 4. I think that that's what the abomination of desolation is. Some people get very specific and start adding details that aren't there. Uh, But what the Bible does clarify is that at some point, uh, and I do believe it probably is part of the first three and a half years of the tribulation, but at some point uh, between now and the midway point, because Daniel does define this as being the midway point, he says what's going to happen is the Antichrist, once he's unveiled, is going to... uh, First, he's going to make a treaty with people. He's gonna offer peace. Revelation presents him as riding on a horse with a bow with no arrows. He's gonna make peace treaties with people. He's gonna offer peace. He's gonna offer to be the problem solver. Uh, The one who, I mean, just imagine if, I understand the number of Christians in the world are far lower than what uh, professes to be Christian, but even if, uh, even understanding that if all the Christians in this world were taken out in a moment, uh, you have to imagine the world is gonna be in some great degree of chaos. Uh, It is going to be a a traumatic event to the world uh, for that to happen. So what you would then have is with that seal being broken and him being unleashed is a man riding out who offers himself as the answer to all of this. The one who can bring some semblance of peace uh, and stability to the world. Uh, and you see that. I mean, anytime there's a disaster, you have that. I mean, right now, and don't, don't think at all I'm calling Bill Gates the Antichrist, and that's what somebody's going to take from this. Uh, that's not my point. But even right now, you have him and so many others who are stepping up as the, you know, the, the, the prince riding in on a white horse to save everybody. Uh, it's that same kind of spirit, that same kind of understanding uh, where somebody wants to come riding in as the hero. Uh, that's what he's going to come, and he's going to make treaties with people. And it says that. It says that at the three and a half year point, he's going to break that so what i was saying about the temple is that at some point between now and then that temple will have been built Uh, they will have resumed sacrifice because it says here he'll put an end to sacrifice Uh, so will they have resumed sacrifice and worship in the way that they would have used to have done it Uh, and at the three and a half year mark he's going to walk into that temple Uh, he's going to put a stop to the sacrifices he's going to oppose god and anything else that's called god and he's going to present himself as god according to what's said here in second thessalonians uh, so that, I think in all reality, everything you need to know about his character and nature comes into that. There are passages that help you understand him a lot better. Uh, one of my good friends said in the comments that he's actually going to preach a message tonight. And so if you can find Brother Van and Herc on Facebook, you might be interested in checking that out. It sounds interesting. Uh, and he's a good preacher. Uh, but he said he's going to preach a message taking Hammond and using him as a picture and a comparison of the Antichrist. Uh, so it would be quite interesting to see that. Uh, but you see, the Bible does use pictures of people, even people outside of what you typically count as a Bible character, people who are historical figures. Uh, the Bible goes into detail about them and uses them as a picture uh, to help you understand who the Antichrist is as you read in, in the book of Daniel. But in regards to his character and nature, you see him as someone who comes right in like a hero uh, and then eventually betrays all of those treaties to present himself like a god. Uh, Matthew 24 does support this. Uh, And so I did tell you I would read a portion of Matthew 24. Uh, Let's go back there then. Uh, And in Matthew 24, uh, we can read about the abomination of desolation and what then follows it. Because I do think that's important for you to understand some of what's going on uh, during this time period. Uh, So Matthew 24. And we will pick up at the midway point of all of this in verse 15. Uh, So this is the midway point of God's timeline. Uh, Verse 15 says, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Uh, and so pay attention to the wording on this because he's going to talk about Judea. He's going to talk about uh, praying that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. He's very clearly talking to Israel. So if you believe in replacement theology, you've got some problems because either you think we're supposed to be participating in the Sabbath uh, or there's something going on that you're not telling us because he's very clearly speaking to uh, Israel at this particular point. But anyways, it says, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let them which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return to take his, uh, his clothes. This is the passage I said to be careful because some people try to mix this with the later passage where he is talking about the rapture because right now he's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about when the Antichrist comes to persecute Israel after he breaks the treaty at the middle of the three and a half year point, which is defined by Daniel's being the midway point uh, and every other passage where you see any kind of outline does seem to say the same thing. Let's pick back up in verse nineteen. And woe to them uh, that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Uh, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not uh, since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, except those days should be shortened. There should no flesh uh, be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man uh, shall say unto you uh lo here's christ believe uh or there, believe it not uh, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall grow great signs and wonders insomuch if it were possible they uh, shall deceive the very elect. Behold I have told you before uh, wherefore if they shall say unto you behold he is in the desert go not forth behold he is in the secret chambers believe it not for his lightning coming out of the east and to the even unto the west so shall the coming of the son of man be for wheresoever the carcass is there will the eagles be gathered together. Uh, So it's very clear talking about the second coming, not the rapture. I've showed, again, if you want a better explanation, go back and look at that question answer service where I go through all of this. and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds uh, from one end of heaven to the other. So, again, this is not a rapture. This is not gathering people from earth. This is him gathering the uh, saints that are in heaven to come back with him as we come riding back with him on a white horse as defined in Revelation 19 and other passages. Uh, now, here's where he gets the parable of the fig tree. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and put forth his leaves. Uh, you know that summer is nigh. Okay. So again, the question he was asking in the beginning of all this, what are the signs of the end times? He spent up to this point describing what it's going to be like, I believe, for the first three and a half years uh, and even persistently throughout it. But what we picked up at with with the Abomination of Desolation, according to Daniel, that's at the midway point, at the halfway point of his treaty of seven years. So the three and a half year market goes in and breaks it. Now, for anyone who struggles because Daniel uh, sometimes will use terms like a time and a half time and so forth, or because he's talking in terms of weeks at that point, let me be clear that prophecy does define this for you. By some points, it gives you the numbers in months. Sometimes it gives it to you in days. Uh, It gives it to you in years. God gives it to you in every kind of way possible to get it in your head. It's exactly seven years, uh, and it is divided clearly in two, three-and-a-half-year periods. Uh, You have to deny so much of the Bible to get around that. But... What he then proceeds to discuss here is that beginning at that three and a half year point, the Antichrist will go into the temple. He'll declare himself to be God. He'll betray that peace treaty. And here it deals with Israel. I'll give you another passage where he deals with believers in general. Uh, But he says once he makes this decision to to start his one world religion, to declare himself as God, uh, that he is going to persecute everyone uh, who rejects that. Here he focuses again on Israel that they're going to have to run. And he says, when you run, uh, pray that that doesn't happen on the Sabbath day. So again, it's a, a term very specifically associated with them, something that would affect them as opposed to uh, just believers in general. And he goes on to explain to them that in those days, it's going to be a terrible time. Tribulation like has never been faced in all of history. Uh, Most of what's going to focus from that point is not about him. It's about the stuff that's going to happen uh, in terms of what we just read. He's going to talk about the sun, moon, and stars being dark and that kind of stuff. Uh, He then proceeds to discuss the actual second coming and what it's like. uh, And then he concludes by giving you the parable of the fig tree that just like when you know, like right now I see the trees in my yard are blossoming, so I know uh, summer is getting near to the door. When you see all that stuff happening, you know Christ is coming, that he's at the door, the second coming is right here. Uh, that's the point of what's going on in all of that. It's answering the question he was asked at the beginning of the chapter. There's a passage in the middle some people get confused about, uh, where he talks about if they say he's in the desert or he's here or there, and you see people gathering together, uh, don't get distracted by that and don't follow after that. And it's actually it's almost comedical what he says. He says, because the birds gather to the carcasses. Uh, In other words, the vultures gather to the dead bodies. Uh, So if you see people gathering together like a bunch of vultures, it's not because Christ is there. It's because the vultures gather to where the dead body is. They go to eat the carcasses. Uh, And so there's a warning not to follow after the Antichrist and don't follow after anybody who says they're coming as Christ. Uh, And don't follow after crowds who gather to that kind of stuff uh, because the vultures gather to the dead bodies. Uh, But still trying to, to, to define quickly Uh, What we have left to say about the Antichrist himself, let's go over to the book of Revelation. Uh, The rest of what I need to say, we can get from one chapter in Revelation. It's quite a bit of reading because it's most of the chapter, uh, if not all of it, uh, but we can get it all in tonight very quick, I think, because I want to talk a little bit about his kingdom uh, concerning the kingdom of the Antichrist. Again, as we look We may even have to do two more messages about prophecy. We'll see. Uh, But as we look, we'll talk more about Christ's kingdom later. Uh, We've discussed it just a little bit in other messages, but maybe we can give more detail because I could do an entire message just on uh, his kingdom and the judgments that come after that and all of that stuff. Uh, So Revelation 13 and beginning in verse 1, I want you to see how he is going to first build a kingdom that he will use to persecute uh, the saints. And that's what we, that's really what we just read. He's going to spend the first three and a half years building a kingdom. Uh, at the three and a half year point, he's going to betray all of those treaties. Uh, and then he is going to make war with anyone who doesn't follow him or worship him. Uh, So verse one, and I stood uh, upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns and upon his horns, 10 crowns and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy and the beast, which I saw was like unto a leopard. uh, And I saw his feet uh, of a bear uh, as the feet, as the feet of a bear uh, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power uh, and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast and they worshiped the dragon and gave power unto the beast and they worshiped the beast saying who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him. Uh, and there was given unto him a, a mouth speaking great things, blasphemies and powers, uh, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Uh, and he opened his mouth and blasphemed in blasphemy against God, uh, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Uh, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Uh, And power was given over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have ear, let him hear. What he's explaining here uh, is really what we've just talked about. He's explaining how uh, that he's going to rise up out of the sea. Again, there's a lot of typology, a lot of uh, things you have to study out to see what all this means. Uh, But he's going to be a man who steps up onto the scene. His kingdom is somewhat described here. Again, I did two or three messages in Zephaniah on his kingdom alone. Uh, So I am trying to condense a lot of information to get through this because I'm already to where I should probably be closing. Uh, But he's going to have this kingdom that is going to center. I personally I know a lot of people believe it centers around the old Roman Empire in terms of around Italy and so forth in Europe. I personally don't agree with that because when you do read those countries that are associated with it, uh, what you find is those countries are mostly situated around Israel. Uh, They're the same countries where all of those other empires, because you see, for example, the Babylonian Empire represented here. When he talks about those other animals, we know from Daniel, he's referencing those animals that represented other empires of the past. Uh, You have the Babylonian Empire, you have the Medo-Persian Empire, you have the Grecian Empire, uh, and of course, the Roman Empire. Uh, And if you go back and understand what Daniel does explain about this, as you'll notice, all of those, if you were to lay them one over top of the other on a map, they all focal. Uh, the focal point of them all is around uh, Israel, uh, and not necessarily Israel is the center, but they're around Israel. Uh, it actually might surprise you to find where the center is. Uh, it's just a little bit above there. Uh, but what you find is that when God picks these empires and specifically brings them out, they're empires that have led one from the other. Uh, and the Antichrist empire is building one from the other. And You see that with the statue, the statue with the golden head uh, and the chest and arms of silver and so forth going down as it changes. Uh, that even when you get down to the legs of steel that represent uh, the Roman Empire, the kingdom of the Antichrist is represented with the clay, the feet with clay and steel mingled together. Uh, so you see even in that that his empire the kingdom of the antichrist is going to proceed forth out of some Uh, some connection coming forth first from Babylon then from Medo-Persia then to Greece then to Rome uh, and then it's going to have been held over uh, even until today some connection back to those Uh, in fact actually if you take the countries that I personally believe uh, the Bible says make up the kingdom of the Antichrist and lay them out uh, it's quite interesting to me again this is something that I'm not going to take a strong stand on Uh, it seems that the outline of that is almost the exact same outline as the Ottoman Empire Uh, it seems like It's focusing very much in that area, and it will be uh, a connection with all of that. Uh, Now, with that in mind, once he's established that empire, he he uses it, having spent three and a half years to build it, he uses it to take control of the world so that it says every tribe, nation, tongue, and race are put under his authority. Uh, and then at that three-and-a-half-year point, when he has that supreme power, he's going to march into that temple and declare himself to be God uh, and demand that people worship him. And he's going to use his kingdom to make war with anyone who refuses to worship him. Uh, and so we see the focal point of Matthew 24 was him declaring war on Israel. The focal point here is him declaring war on anyone, uh, all the saints, anyone who's not willing to worship him. Uh, And what the Bible teaches, according to this passage, is that everybody's going to fall in one of two camps. They're either going to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or a believer in the Antichrist. Uh, And you see that presented. Uh, We actually skipped over a lot of what is said about him in 2 Thessalonians. I probably should have read some more because verse 8 through 12 uh, deals with him. So let me go back and read that real fast. You don't have to go back with me. You can stay in Revelation 13 because we're coming right back. Uh, But it it explains that point that he is going to, uh, that God is going to send a spirit of delusion over top of those who have heard the gospel and rejected those who refused Christ uh, during that time period that they are going to receive the lies of the Antichrist. And uh, you see that here in 2 Thessalonians and what we read in the passage just now uh, is the Lamb's book of life is God's record of everyone who's going to get saved. So you have a choice. You, if, he says everyone whose name's not written in the Lamb's book of life uh, is going to bow down and worship the Antichrist. So that means in, during that time period, you're going to be in one of two camps. You're going to be worshiping the Christ or the Antichrist. Uh, there will be no middle ground uh, that everybody will fall in one place or the other at some point. Uh, Again, the only gray area uh, is how long it takes you to make a decision. Uh, Let me read those verses I missed in 2 Thessalonians 8-12. through We read them in the beginning, but I forgot to bring them back out at this point. It says, And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord uh, shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Uh, with all power and signs and lying wonders. So we also saw that the devil gives power, his power to him. So he is uh, empowered by the devil. Uh, one person, uh, Adrian Rogers, used to call him Satan Superman, uh, that he is empowered by the devil to do his work. Uh, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion uh, that they should believe a lie. I'm sorry, I skipped verse 10, I believe. Uh, And with all deceivfulness and unrighteousness, them that perish uh, because they receive not the love of the truth, uh, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God uh, God shall send them a strong delusion uh, that they should believe a lie. Uh, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, uh, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So in that time period, everybody's going to follow one of two camps. And with that, he's going to begin to build what we call the one world religion, which is what's described throughout the rest of this chapter. Uh, I was trying to keep some focus on his kingdom before I got there, though, uh, that he's going to build this massive one world government, one world currency kingdom that we've always heard about. The devil says he's going to give his dominion to him the whatever power he has over this world because the bible calls him the prince of this world it says now the prince of this world is cast out uh so the prince of this world is going to hand over his the, the keys to the kingdom to him that okay this my world is yours he's going to hand over he's going to empower him with all of his power uh most believe and i myself believe this because he does talk about uh, opening himself up to satan in one passage uh that he will open himself up to be possessed by the devil um uh, That what you have presented, and you're going to see this, especially as we move into the next passage, is the devil has always been the great counterfeiter. uh, And what he is trying to do with the Antichrist is present the alternative to Christ, uh, his answer to the Christ. Uh, And what he is doing is trying to present his own unholy trinity uh, with himself, the dragon, as the father, uh, with the beast out of the sea uh, as the son, and with the uh, false prophet, the beast out of the land, uh, as the uh, anti-Holy Spirit. Uh, And what you have in that regard is him in creating his false religion, he's creating his copy of what God has made, uh, and he is going to present the Antichrist as the Christ, as the Messiah. that's why you'll notice that most any religion in the world today that's rejecting christ is waiting on some man to show up and save the day uh most i mean the muslims are still waiting on it uh the uh the catholics their version of how they believe that all this is going to play out is really waiting on it uh the jews are still waiting on the messiah to come the first time and set up a kingdom that will encompass the world uh every most every religion in the world that is somehow focused on a god Uh, is looking for a messiah to show up and save the day. Uh, And that's what he's gonna present himself as. And he's gonna do it in the power of Satan. Satan's gonna help him to build his kingdom. Uh, He's gonna hand over the keys of what dominion and power he has. Uh, He's gonna empower him with all of his strength. And he is going to give him a kingdom that begins in that center area around Israel. Uh, But he is going to use that so that all people of, every tribe, nation, tongue, and race is put under subject to him. And anyone who refuses to bow down to his religion, uh, he says he will make war with them. Now, reading the rest of what we have to say about Revelation 13, and then after that we can close. uh, It says in verse 11, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein uh, to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he gave great wonders, so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven and the earth uh, and on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth uh, by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live uh, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast and that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed and he calls it us all both small and great rich and poor free and bond to receive the mark in their right hand uh, or in their forehead uh, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark, or that the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Uh, here is wisdom. Let him that understandeth count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred score and six. So six, six, six. What he describes is he's going to create a religion. It's actually, again, so many contrasts of how he's counterfeiting what God has. Because God talks about the believers during this time period being sealed uh, with the spirit in their forehead. So he's creating a counterfeit to that. He's creating his own version of that, a mark that he is giving his believers. Uh, And you're not allowed to buy or sell without it. You're not allowed to, uh, you know, you're going to be hunted without it because you're considered an enemy. And so he, again, from that halfway point begins this religion. I can't find anywhere where it shows there being the mark being prior to that. It seems that it all begins after he begins the persecution, once he declares war on the saints and begins this one world religion, uh, once he's got his one world government in place and all of that. Uh, and you'll even see that these two things do work separately if you read Revelation because Mystery Babylon is divided in two parts. And there's, when it talks about its fall, the economic, the one world government side of it, the nation's more than that, but the religious side of it, they're glad because they hated it. They just put up with it in order to get the economic benefits. But what you have in regards to his one world religion, is he has this leader, this false prophet, uh, who's gonna do some incredible stuff. I mean, he's talking about with building, making the image and giving the image, the appearance of life and all this kind of stuff. Uh, There's a lot of incredible things he's going to do to present himself as God. Uh, I think a lot of that we know, we understand a lot of it. uh, I don't have to get into tonight because it's, it's interesting information, but the one I do have to touch on is about that mark because of the fact that there's a lot of people who every time you see a video of somebody getting a microchip in their hand, uh, become afraid that Christians are now going to get the mark of the beast. There's preachers who say they can. The Bible doesn't say that. First of all, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. So we believe we won't be here when the mark comes out. So you couldn't get it because you won't be here to get it. Second of all, even if you didn't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, if you believed in a mid-tribulation rapture, pre-trib, post rath whatever you want to call it, they're all mid-tribulation raptures. Even if you believed in that, you wouldn't be here to get it. It's not something you have to worry about in that regard. But beyond that, it is a religious thing. It's not something you just accidentally do. It's not like your employer asks you to get a microchip in your hand. And so you get a microchip. that's why I'm actually against the idea that it's a microchip and it could be, and I could very well be wrong, but I'm somewhat against it because it is a religious thing. It is associated and connected to the worship of the antichrist. It is something that you are sealing yourself as a servant and believer of him. It's not something you do by accident. You can't just walk into work and accidentally get the mark. It is something that someone chooses to take because God is very clear about this uh, that the ones who get it are those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life it's those who are going to bow down and worship the Antichrist Uh, it is those who are not going to receive Christ are going to receive the Antichrist people are going to be in one of those two camps during this time period what he's teaching and so he's saying this that everyone who gets that mark is doing it by choice it is a religious choice that you see what the the false prophet has done you see what the antichrist has done and you accept him as the messiah and so as part of that religion you take the mark whatever it may be you take that mark upon you it's not something that a christian could ever get because again two out of three beliefs about how the rapture takes place say you won't be here once it's instituted anyways but beyond that the more important understanding is that it is a religious experience it's not something you could do by accident. It's not something that just see it's forced on people. It is something they choose themselves to take. Uh, and so you have with this, this understanding then of the Antichrist, that he is the false Christ who comes presenting himself as the Messiah, going to save the world during this time of tribulation, uses that to build a kingdom, uh, betrays all of his covenants, declares himself to be a God, uses that to build a one world religion uh, where people worship him. He's empowered by Satan. Uh, he's, it says here that Satan gives him his dominion. All of that is to very important for you to understand about the Antichrist. There's one thing I didn't talk about that I think is important to this because we are discussing the contrast between those who believe during this time period and those who believe the Antichrist, those who believe the Christ and the Antichrist. And that is to discuss that during while all of this is going on, there's a whole other story of two prophets, two witnesses, that God is going to plant them uh, in the city of Jerusalem and they're going to preach. God gives it to you in the number of days He tells you exactly how many days they're going to stand there in the city of Jerusalem and preach. And he tells you that it is exactly three and a half years to the day, especially when we're speaking about prophetic years uh, in terms of how that should be numbered to the day. They're going to be there for three and a half years. Then they will be killed. They will be left to lay in the street for three and a half days. Uh, And then after the three and a half days uh, of laying there in the street, it says God is going to raise them from the dead uh, and call them up to heaven. Uh, and I believe that from that is where you're going to get, for example, the 144,000 who come to believe. I believe that God is going to use them as evangelists. Some people won't agree with that. I believe that's why if you go back to Matthew 24, and I believe verse 14, you know, just before we start reading, he'll tell you how that just before uh, all of this happens, you know, part of what's going on with the abomination of desolation is that the gospel is going to be preached to every tribe, nation, tongue, and race. I believe that God is going to be, while the Antichrist is building his kingdom, the devil's hard at work. God is going to take these two men. Now, I do with all my heart believe it to be Moses and Elijah because he is planting them in Israel, and Moses and Elijah are the two representatives of the Old Testament. They are the law and the prophets. Uh, they are the, 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 if God was going to pick anybody to go and witness, because we can get into arguments about, okay, Elijah never died, so that makes perfect sense. We could get into the arguments uh, about God having a plan and a purpose for Moses' body, so that's why he sent uh, Michael to go contend with the devil to get it. And I know people want to try to bring Enoch because of him being all, translate it but the real definitive and important thing to discuss here uh, is why he would choose them obviously he discusses their miracles that one has the power of plagues one has the power to pray and stop the rain Uh, very clearly Moses and Elijah but the thing that stands out the most and the most beautiful part of this story is he's taking the law and the prophets And he's sending them in person, the two men who represent those parts of the Old Testament, uh, the way that God defines and divides the Old Testament. He's sending those two men to spend three and a half years preaching there in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, And I don't think that a lot of people are going to turn immediately during that time period. I could be wrong about that, but what I feel like is going to be the real turning point because it says when they're raised, many are going to believe. I believe that after they're killed, Uh, And they're left to lay there in the street for three and a half days. I believe the Antichrist will do that on his way to the temple. I believe it'll be part of that abomination of desolation. Uh, Because again, it needs to be the first three and a half years because he tells you to the day how many days they'll be preaching. uh, So it can't fit in the last three and a half years because then you wouldn't have three and a half days for them to lay in the grave or lay in the street before they're resurrected. So it does need to be in the first three and a half years. But I believe for the first three and a half years, they're going to preach that Moses and Elijah are going to be there. The two representatives of the Old Testament, the same two men men that met Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, and they're going to stand in that street. and They're going to preach until the Antichrist comes and to kill them, to put a stop to all of this on his way into the temple uh, as a part of that abomination of desolation. They'll lay there for three and a half days. When they're raised, some part of Israel is going to see that and believe. I believe from that you get to 144,000. I believe from that uh, they go out to preach. Uh, And I believe with all of that, you get the gospel being preached so that a multitude gets saved that no man can number. Uh, Now, why I say that is because you do see in this time period we so much focus on the destruction and the wrath and the Antichrist building his kingdom and so many people falling for his lies and following after him uh, that sometimes we miss the beauty of the fact that God talks about people being saved for every tribe, nation, tongue, and race during this time period. Antichrist may be given power of the devil over every tribe, nation, tongue, and race, but God's still going to be saving people out of every tribe, nation, tongue, and race during this time period. So for us, our resurrection and our rescue takes place before this. It's the event that opens all of this. The Antichrist comes in and the next seven years are focused around him and his kingdom destroying stuff typically. But all along the way in the background, what we're missing is a beautiful story of God taking two great men. Uh, two great preachers and planting them uh, in the center of all of this so that they can preach until the people of every tribe, nation, tongue and race come to trust in Christ. And what is the most terrible uh, period in human history in terms of him saying there's never been a time of tribulation like it, nor will there ever be another one. Uh, until finally we see, which we'll deal with this more later, Christ coming back to put the end to all of it. So hopefully that gives you some understanding uh, as to what the Bible teaches about the rapture and about the Antichrist. I know I went well past my intended time, but again, I condensed what typically I think took me five or six messages since I brought in the stuff about the prophets uh, and some other stuff. I think that was five or six messages from my Wednesday night Bible studies uh, condensed into one for you. Uh, so we did have to go a little bit long, uh, but I hope it's been a help to you. If you made it to the end, as always, I ask you to leave an amen for me in the comments. That way I know who was here and who was a part of it. I'm going to close this with the word of prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you God for the blessing and the privilege it is to be able to study your word. We thank you for how good you are, for how you speak to us. Uh, we thank you, God, that your word is so well put together, so uh, easy to understand when we let it define itself and when we just take the time to study it and compare scripture with scripture. I pray, God, that for anyone who's listening, anyone who will be touched by this video, that you'll help them to find the comfort, the comfort of these words of knowing that we're not appointed under wrath, uh, the comfort of knowing uh, that even in the word times of human history, throughout history until now, and even in the future, uh, you still have evangelism uh, and the souls of men on your heart as your chief concern. I pray, God, you'd help us to find comfort in all of this. We ask it in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I appreciate uh, everyone sticking around, being a part of it. I just realized how long that delay is because you all didn't hear me say anything about saying amen until I'd done finished praying. Uh, so if that tells you how big the delay is at the time. You'll figure it out when you get there. Uh, but I do really appreciate uh, everyone who was a part of this study. Again, I hope it's a blessing to you. I know for my people, we've already talked a lot about prophecy. You've already heard most everything I've said tonight, but I do appreciate you sticking around and being part of the message and hope that it was a help to you, that maybe you picked up some stuff you missed the first time. Uh, So again, across this week, we will try to say what we've got to say about prophecy. I'll try to finish anything I have to say about it across this week, but I still need to pray about it and get peace about how I'm going to handle the online services. So be looking for us probably tomorrow and maybe one day later this week. Probably Friday, if that's the case, uh, to say what we got to say about prophecy and try to finish that up is maybe we talk about some of the wrath and punishments and uh, the outline of how to understand the book of Revelation uh, and then proceed from that to look at the kingdom of Christ. Uh, Both of those would make two separate studies. There's no way I could do them together. All right. I'm going to go and close out the live stream. I can't hold it any longer. I appreciate, uh, again, your time uh, and hope it was a help to you.